John 8, and we'll begin reading at verse 21 through verse 30. That will be our text. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we, we try to make our way through various books of the Bible, preaching passage by passage, verse by verse. And that's where we are this morning. We're at John chapter 8, beginning verse 21. It says, Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews says, will, said, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak the word uh, to the world, those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things and he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone for I always do these things or those things that please him. And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, again, we ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word for your own glory. We pray that you would destroy our idols, tear down our sins, and replace that with love and affection for you and the Lord Jesus Christ and new obedience to him. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we all have experienced missed opportunities if you live long enough, you probably will. And there are some sayings concerning, concerning missed opportunities. There is one writer who said, history, if it is nothing else, is an epic tale of missed opportunities. Another writer says, we've all got a black book of missed opportunities. And evidently, there is an old Middle Eastern proverb, and it says something like this, four things do not come back. The spoken word, the shot arrow, the past life, and the neglected opportunity. Why am I talking about the missed opportunity this morning? It is because in our text, Jesus uh, tells these unbelieving Pharisees basically that thing, that they have missed the opportunity, that he has stood before them. He has told them time and again who he is. They have not received that word. They have not acted in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in verse 21, if you have your Bible, you can look at it with me. In verse 21, he utters startling, uh, terrifying words, really. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus says there will come a time where they will seek him, but they will not find him. He will be somewhere else. They will one day realize 
that he is, in fact, who he has claimed to be, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that he has come to save his people from their sins. But for them, it will be too late. And yet, at the same time, Jesus has said elsewhere, for instance, in John 6, 37, he says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So there is hope. All that the Father has given to Jesus will come to Jesus. And anyone who does come to Jesus, Jesus will never cast them out. That's what he says. And even so, in chapter 8 and in verse 21, he tells them where, they, where he is going, they cannot come. And where is he going? Well, he says he's from above. He's going back there. In chapter 7, verse 33, um, he has already said that he is going uh, back to that place where he is from and that he has come down from his father. In chapter 7, verse 33, it says, Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me, to his heavenly father. So Jesus is on the earth. He's going back to heaven. He's going back to his heavenly father. And note that phrase well in verse 21. You will seek me and will die in your sin. You will die in your sin, with your sin, on account of your sin. See, the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is what? It's death. Why do men die? Because they have sinned. We sinned in Adam with his first sin in the garden. And also we sin in thought, word, and deed daily. And so Jesus warns these men. He warns people today. He warns anyone who hears these words that unless something happens, they will die in their sins. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at as Jesus has been the light to shine on this Feast of Tabernacles. You know, he said he's the light of the world. He's withdrawing his light uh, from these men. And as he does that, he issues this warning. And so really, the title for this sermon is How to Die in Your Sins. That's not the goal of the sermon this morning. We want to avoid that. And so by... Stating how to die in your sins, we can see how to avoid it and answer the question, why would these men die in their sins? Um, Jesus, I think, in the conversation here as well, tells us and gives us clues. So why is it that these men would die in their sins? First of all, it's because of their self-righteousness. Their self-righteousness. And what is self-righteousness? Well, righteousness is doing what is right in the sight of God doing what is right, but self-righteousness is trying to earn favor with God. As one put it, self-righteousness is a confidence in one's own personal righteousness, often attended by a contempt for others. And so biblically speaking, when we talk about self-righteousness, it's trying to generate, trying to earn favor with God, our own righteousness, our own morality to be acceptable in the sight of God. So in verse 22, after Jesus utters that statement, you'll see that they ask the question, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? 
And if you don't understand the thought there, I'm, I'm with you. And so evidently, I mean, I think I understand it now, but when you first read it, you're like, well, what is their thought? Well, evidently the Jews, they believed, many of them believed uh, that the depths of hell were reserved for those who committed suicide. That was one of the unpardonable sins. And so when they say, uh, will he kill himself? They're assuming that he's going to a place after his death or whatever, that he's going to a place where they will not be. They got that. But they're not assuming that he's going back to heaven. They're assuming that they are going to heaven. Therefore, Jesus wouldn't be there. So they're, they're thinking, well, did he mean to say that he's going to commit suicide, that he's going to hell, to that special place, even in hell, where it is reserved for those who commit that crime in the sight of God? didn't even cross their mind that Jesus at this point is placing them outside of the kingdom of heaven. And so we see how blinding self-righteousness is. You know, there's a bit of the Pharisee in all of us. But to be self-righteous and not a Christian, not one humbled by God, not one who has seen his or her sins, what they deserve, and cast uh, their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ and beg for mercy, that the self-righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus points that out here. And we see that with these Pharisees. In Proverbs 26 and verse 12, it says, do you see persons wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the parable of the um, Pharisee and the tax collector. And in Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 11, he gives that parable. And Luke, he prefaces uh, that parable by saying this. Also, he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. You see, there it is. And then he says, two men went up, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other the tax collector. The Pharisee, he told God about all of his good deeds. He did this, he did that. And he's not like that Pharisee, that um, publican over there, that tax collector over there. And yet there's the tax collector, the publican, and he's casting himself before God. He's beating his chest over and over, and he's saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. He's confessing his sins. That's the opposite of the self-righteous is one who confesses his or her sins to God, even to others at times. And so why were these men placed outside of the kingdom? Why could they not go where Jesus was going? It's because they were self-righteous. But there's a second thing here. Second reason is because of their worldliness. And that's in verses 23 and following, Jesus, he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And so what is Jesus saying here? Again, he's going back to that place from where he came, heaven. He's come down to the earth. And he says, you are from or of this world, the cosmos. And what does the word world mean? It can take on different flavors and meanings in scripture. But ultimately, it is part of God's created order. And we often think of the world as the earth, the cosmos, and the planets that he's made, the stars, and all of those things. In Genesis 1, it says he created them in the space of six days. All very good. 
And yet what happened? Adam sinned, Eve sinned. And in Genesis 3, we read about the curse that has come upon this world, this earth upon which we walk. And so they began to die. Men began to die. And they died spiritually. And so men die today. And we come into this world dead spiritually unless God miraculously gives us the new birth. And so Jesus warns that they are of this world. Remember the world since the fall, as Jesus said, is in the darkness, John 8, 12. And so in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, it says there, we know that we are of God. Christians, we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. It's under the power and influence of Satan, this fallen world. God is Satan's God. Don't forget that. He is Lord over Satan. But yet God has seen fit to allow Satan to have influence over this fallen world. In 1 John 2.15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides, abides forever. God has not left the world to perish. He has not left all mankind to perish and die in their sins, as he puts it here. No, in fact, just in the Gospel of John, it is the Father who loved this world. He sent his only begotten Son into this world. Jesus is the prophet who has come into the world. He's the bread of heaven who has come down and gives life to the world. He's the light of the world. And Jesus is building a kingdom that is not from or of this world. And so his disciples, we are told, are not of this world. We are in it, but not of, of the world. Just as Jesus is not of this world. And so what is he saying? He's telling them, you are of this fallen order in this fallen world. You can't save yourself. You are still in your sins. You may put on your Sunday best. You might put on and dress up, uh, put on the, the clothes of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but you're not. You're a citizen of the world. And just by being a citizen of the world, you are still in your sins. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 17.32 about Lot's wife. He said, remember Lot's wife. What was her problem? What happened to her? Well, in Genesis chapter 19... God foretold that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And he gave the instructions. He says, you're to flee the town. And as you run, do not look back because you'll die. You'll turn into a pillar of salt. Well, they, they fled and they ran. And God rained hellfire and brimstone upon that area. And they, the citizens there, they died. They suffered. But Lot's wife, she looked back. and She turned into a pillar of salt. Why did, why did she look back? Because that's where her heart was, back in Sodom and Gomorrah. She didn't want to come out of that life and that lifestyle. And so Christians today, you and I, 
are told that we are pilgrims passing through. We, we affirm the, the good things about God's created order, his wonders, of the wonders of his creation, the things we get to enjoy that he gives to us, his good gifts. And yet at the same time, we know that we are pilgrims passing through and that this world is fallen and that there are forces we have to deal with and resist. In 1 Peter 2, in verse 11, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. That old hymn writer, I love his hymns. Uh, well, both John and Charles Wesley. I think it was John Wesley said, anything that cools my love for Christ is the world. That's interesting to think about. Those magnificent poems and hymns of the Christian faith that he has written that talk about how wonderful the gospel of Jesus Christ is, that warm our hearts, hopefully, when we sing them and hear them. That author said, anything that cools his love for Christ is of the world. There's a third thing here as far as why they would die in their sins. And this gets at the heart of it. It's because of their unbelief. Their unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now it's interesting what Jesus does here. In verse 21, when he mentions sin, he uses the singular, you will die in your sin. Verse 24 and uh, well, twice in verse 24, he says sins, plural. And he might, he might be talking about our sin in Adam that, as Romans 5 talks about, what Adam did, we did because of our union with Adam. So we're guilty of sin because Adam was our federal head. And perhaps he's talking about that there in verse 21. In verse 24, he says you will die in your sins, your personal sins, the ones you commit as well. So there are... The federal, the federal sin, there is that that we committed with Adam in the garden before we were born because he was our representative. But there's our actual sins that we commit in the body, in this life. And Jesus says in verse 24, you're going to die in your sins for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If the pronoun there, he, is in italics in your Bible. It's because it's only implied. It's not in the Greek. And once again, you, Jesus uses that phrase, ego, a me in the Greek, I, I am, which goes back to Exodus 3.14, which goes back to the great statement about God, that he is the one who is, which is a statement of Jesus claiming deity, that he's the second person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the the Holy Spirit. And so they, they do not believe. And he says, unless you believe, you will die in your sins. You see, there is the gift of salvation. There is the forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, the gift of God, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so 
We receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive the gift of salvation. How? Through faith, trust, belief in the living God. And we've often talked about here the three aspects, the three parts of saving faith, knowledge, assent, and trust. You know, there's the knowledge of the um, facts about the gospel. There is assent that we do agree with them. And then trust. We cast everything. We put all of our eggs in one basket. We, we trust the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And oftentimes we'll emphasize the trust because you can have the head knowledge, as we sometimes say, without the heart knowledge, right? You haven't trusted in Jesus. You haven't cast yourself upon him and asked for forgiveness. But let us not forget that there is knowledge. Jesus says, verse 24, for if you do not believe that I am he, or if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that Jesus is God, if you do not believe that he is who he said that he is, if you do not believe what the scriptures say about him, you will die in your sins. That's what he's saying. And there's a lot packed into the titles of Jesus. John refers to many of the titles of Jesus. Remember in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is with his disciples. He, he asked the question, who do men say that I am? Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Uh, some say you're the son of man and Jeremiah and so forth. And then he turns to them and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter makes that great confession. You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. May all of God's covenantal blessings come upon you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Really, it's only by the sovereign grace and power and mercy of God that anyone believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And so that needs to happen before these men will confess that he is the great I am. And so still they have not, and still people today refuse to believe that Jesus is I am. Many people believe that Jesus lived, that he existed. They'll say he was a great teacher, that he was one of the greats, that he was a great prophet even. But they won't say that he is the son of the living God, that he is God come in the flesh to save me from my sins. And we have to say, if that's true, you're still in your sins. That's what Jesus says here. Well, there's a fourth thing. In addition to their unbelief, there is the obstinance or stubbornness in their unbelief. Their hearts have become hardened in their unbelief. So that's the fourth thing is their obstinance. In verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? I, I think they're mocking him here. I don't think they're serious. Like, I, th I think it's like, who do you think you are? I mean, we're the ones, we have letters. We are the teachers of Israel. We are the experts in the law. You're just this teacher. You got a few disciples. Yeah, but who are you again? They're calling out his, his credentials, his pedigree, and all of those sorts of things. And 
they hold them in contempt and they're diverting the conversation a little bit here. I think it's a tactic and, and that's what's going on. And so Jesus answers in verse 25, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I think what he means is, you know, I am the one that I've been talking about. I am he that has come from the father. I am the one who is sent by God to save his people from their sins. You need a savior, Pharisees. And Jesus is saying, I am he. And then he says, verse 26, I have many things to say to you. Many things to judge, he says. And what does he mean by that? He says in verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. In other words, he has a message as a prophet, he has a message to speak. That message has come from God the Father. And he's saying that the Father has many things to say to these men and to the Jewish people as a whole. To judge, to make an account, to call an account, to say things that are true about them. Now, John 3 has already said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so that's the flip side of what he says here. There is the law. There is the gospel. The law is our accuser for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is any want of conformity unto, we say, any want or of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And so there must be that aspect of the gospel, but as well, there is that wonderful news that Jesus has come so that we will not have to be condemned and die in our sins. And so he notes their obstinance, I think, there. And that's in verse 25, also in verse 26. Well, the fifth and last reason as to why they would die in their sins, if there was no change, was because of their squandered or missed opportunity. That's in verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, that I am He. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. And he goes on. So I think Jesus here is telling them they're going to have this realization that they have missed an opportunity. Um, verse, again, verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, what does he mean? Well, that word refers to the crucifixion in John's gospel. And he's saying, when you crucify me, when you crucify the Son of Man, he's reminding them of who he is by saying the Son of Man. Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. You're going to know at that time, you're going to realize that, that I'm the one who has been sent by God. That I'm the one who's come to save people from their sins. That I am the Savior and the light of the world. That he has spoken the words of the Father. That the Father has condemned them and all who will not believe in Jesus. And so these words serve as a warning 
<coughs> excuse me, they serve as a warning to these Pharisees. And they serve as a warning to us today. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. I've talked to people about the gospel <coughs> in the past. And I had a co-worker at one point and he said, I'm just not ready to make that move yet. I'm not ready to do that. I see it. I get it. And he was banking on the fact that he would be alive that afternoon or the next day. Jesus teaches about that in the parable of the rich fool. The rich fool, he spends his money, his wealth. He stores up things for himself. He says, eat, drink, and tomorrow we die. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And then he says, Jesus says, his life. He says that God came to him and said, you fool. This very night, your soul shall be required of you. <coughs> Later on in John's gospel. <clears throat> Jesus will say to those who would not repent. <clears throat> While you have light, believe in the light that you may come or become sons of the light. And it says, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. You know, we all can agree probably that we've had missed opportunities. And when we talk to people about the gospel, let's remind people of this, that they ought not to miss this opportunity. If you're here this morning and you've never called upon Jesus, don't miss this opportunity. You know, Adam, he missed the one opportunity. He had one shot to obey God. He didn't take it. He failed. And cast himself and all of his children, and his great, 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 great grandchildren with him into sin. But praise God that God is a God of second chances, that he is the God of grace. And good news, the gospel. For he sent the last Adam, whom the Bible calls the life-giving spirit, Jesus, to come and do what Adam did not do. To live for us, but also to die for us. To take away our sins so that we do not have to die in our sins. How do you avoid dying in your sins? You confess your sins to God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means you agree with God and you take it. You say, Lord, I have sinned. Yes, it is true. I am the sinner. You renounce the world. Don't make this world its way of rebellion against God your home. Resist the world. Resist the devil. And flee to the Lord Jesus in faith and cast yourself upon him. And so take advantage of the gift, for that is how you avoid dying in your sins. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that we have in him. We pray that all who are here this morning would be believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to take the opportunity 
to take the gospel to our neighbors, our co-workers, friends, strangers, whomever you put before our paths. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.